John chapter number 6. John chapter number 6. We're going to be looking at a familiar passage of scripture. And uh, at the same time, we're going to do some different kind of teaching this morning. You say, why, why is it going to be kind of different? Because we're going to show some testimony videos of some NFL quarterbacks and retired quarterbacks. And uh, so we're going to hear a little bit today just from that. Today is Football Sunday. You say, why isn't it Super Bowl Sunday? Because Super Bowl is trademarked. And uh, if you want to pay a royalty, then yeah, you can go ahead and show a graphic and do all that. But we don't want to pay a royalty for it. So we're calling it Football Sunday, even though today is Super Bowl. Sunday. And uh, when it comes to today, today is a special day, but it's one of those where um, I think too often we think, why are we talking about football in church? I mean, come on, this is church. It's not, it's not a place for football, but I want a spotlight that you can find faith even in football. Because too often what we do is for your coworkers, if your neighbors, your relatives, you may sound as a Christ follower, you may sound kind of very foreign to them because you're like, well, no, football is worldly and we don't worship the pig. We worship, you know, the one true God and, you know, and all that kind of stuff that we tend to do as Christ followers. And it comes across weird where now we're, we're going to bridge the two because there are some strong stories of faith in football. And so today we're going to spotlight some of those. And I believe it's going to speak to us. I believe it's going to help us this morning. So I pray that you don't come in with a spirit that says, you know what, uh, I, I'm going to tune this out. I want just the, the word. And we are going to get to the word, but I think there's some powerful testimonies as well. So, and I know I've never played football. That may come as a surprise to many of you, you know, that I never played professionally. And uh, I know like all this, like, why didn't I? I know I, I should have, I'm sure it would have been easy, right? Yeah, right. No, I just didn't. My parents, for whatever reason, seven kids, maybe they were thinking that's a lot of equipment we would have to buy. That's a lot of however much you spend to play sports. It's not cheap. And I think they just bypassed that. So I didn't really play sports, but I started doing some research on how many people make it into professional sports, and just for football, just the amount of people that get drafted is one out of every 50 college students get drafted, and that's our playing division one. That's one out of 50 that just get drafted. Now, it doesn't mean you're actually going to play. That just means you actually get drafted. When it gets drafted, it's a much smaller ratio, so it's very hard to end up playing professional football. And so when you meet an athlete at that level, at that caliber, you understand that this athlete has um, really some drive and some determination, and they have a deeper level than most athletes to get to that level. When you see one, just to make it on to that astroturf or to make it on to that hallowed green grass, I mean, it takes a lot of effort and commitment and really sacrifice to get there. And so when, when we look at it today, it's one of those things where I think it really helps us to see that as well, to know the commitment that they've made. But I just want to see out of a show of hands, how many today think the Patriots are going to be eating bird? I just, I'm just curious. You think, Patriots, you think the Patriots are going to win? Okay. How many think the Eagles are going to fly? Oh, is that just wishful thinking, though? Carson Wentz is not starting, y'all. You know, he's, he's not back. So, so I think that's more of we just don't want to see the Pats get there or, or, or uh, Tom Brady get a sixth ring. You know, five is enough. He's got one hand full, you know, and he doesn't need to start on the second hand. You know, I think that's a little bit of jealousy, maybe. Maybe we, sh- maybe we should change the message, just bitterness and jealousy and anger, that not the Niners or the Raiders are there today. All right? I know, I'm disappointed. I'm bummed, too. But let's just call it out. But... I notice as we watch this, you and I are probably today going to go to our homes or go to our family or friends, and we're going to sit in front of a TV, and uh, we're going to eat some food, and we're going to kind of get emotionally invested in the game. 
And some of you, you're going to look at that TV screen and you're going to yell at it. You're going to cheer. You're going to scream. And I'm here to tell you, it's not going to do any good whatsoever. Like, not at all. <laughs> like, you can scream for your team as loud as long as you want. And they can't hear you. They can't. They can't. I, I, they can't. I'm just telling you. But you're going to go ahead and scream anyway. You're going to cheer anyway. You're going to get emotionally invested. You're going to get angry when the refs make a bad call. And you're going to call and yell things that even though you were just in church, you'd be ashamed of. You know, it's just like you were just at church a couple hours ago. But now you're, anyway, it's okay. And, uh, you know, so uh, you're going to get all upset because there's nothing we can do. All that we can do is really just be fans. We really can't get in the game and do anything. It's kind of sad. But yet we're still going to get emotionally invested. We're still going to cheer. We're going to hope that the Eagles eke out a Super Bowl win. But even though you can't get invested in this game, there's a much bigger game happening. There's a much bigger thing at play here. And I'm afraid when it comes to that, we have a lot of fans and not enough followers. There's a lot of people that they don't mind claiming the name of Christ and saying that they're a Christ follower. But yet when it comes down to actually doing anything for him, we're just fans. We're just there. We're just there to eat the food, cheer him on, and scream when somebody makes a bad call. But to really get up and be invested, now that's a different story. I find that today we live in a time where people can show support without ever having to sacrifice. I, you could say, well, I support this organization, or I support that group, or I support these people. But guess what? Uh, true support, I think, should be backed up with some sacrifice. But too often, we want to show support, but never sacrifice. There's a whole generation that's coming up that they want significance without sacrifice. They want to have everything that somebody else has, but they don't want to take the journey or go through what somebody else went through. We're going to hear stories of, of people that they went through, and they face incredible odds to get to where they got. And some of us are thinking, well, I just want the significance, but I don't want the sacrifice. And I'm here to tell you this morning, you don't get the one without the other. You don't get an amazing marriage without investing. You don't get to raise great children without investing. You don't get to be the manager or the owner without sacrifice. You don't get to get the good grades without doing the work. You don't get to that position by just wishful thinking and hoping and imagining it'll happen. It takes sacrifice. And that brings us to John chapter number 6 because Jesus in John chapter number 6 has just done two amazing miracles. He starts out by multiplying the bread and the loaves. And there's this large crowd that's gathered in the early part of this chapter. And they've come and Jesus starts asking his disciples as a test to see, hey, what are we going to do to get them food? And all of a sudden, Jesus' disciples are like, hey, we don't have enough. We don't have enough money for food. We don't, we don't know what to do. And then there's a little boy who brings a lunch. And God and Jesus multiplies the lunch and it feeds 5,000 men. People estimate there was over 20,000 people that Jesus fed. And then to escape the crowds, Jesus sends his disciples to the other side. And then the disciples get caught up in the storm. Maybe some of you remember that. And then Jesus comes walking on the water. And all of a sudden, he gets in the boat. They, his disciples, they see Jesus walking on water. So he's done two amazing miracles. And now we're going to pick it up the next day with this crowd. Because we need to ask ourselves the question, am I a fan of Jesus or am I a follower of Jesus? Because I think he's got a lot of fans and few followers. 
I think there's a lot of people that are up there cheering in the stands while 12 people do the work. There's a lot of people that love to cheer and applaud and, yes, even get upset and angry when somebody down there does something wrong. When they're the ones doing the work. So we're stepping back this morning. We're saying, okay, all right, what what is God asking of me? So it's with an open mind, an open heart that we say, okay, God, speak to me. So this morning, right now, touch your neighbor and say, hey, I want God to speak to me. It's okay, touch your neighbor, wake them up a little bit and say, hey, I want God to speak to me. It's football Sunday. I want to hear from God. All right, so with that thought of mind, let's dive in. Notice what verse number 25 says. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Now, just stop for a moment. I'm telling you what, if you're trying to draw a crowd and if you're trying to grow a movement, this right there is not the way to do it. Jesus knows he has this large crowd. He knows he has this following, but he's going to get right to the point. He's going to say, I know why you guys are really here. He's going to get to their motive. Now, you and I, we like to ascribe motive to people. We like to think that we know why people did certain things. And that's, a, that's a, not a very healthy habit to, to create. But Jesus knows the heart. Jesus knows the motive. Jesus knows exactly why they're there, and he's going to get right to it. Verse number 27, the Bible says, Do not work for the food which perishes but for that food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they asked him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. Therefore they said to him, what sign do you show them that we may see and believe you? What work will you perform? Now stop just for a second. It's almost like they're trying to trick Jesus into another miracle of some loaves. It's like, hey, that food was really good yesterday. I got to eat, but I didn't have to work for it. Now, you're talking to an agrarian society. That day, whatever they uh, harvested, that's what they were going to live off of. So you've got to understand, there was a lot of work, a lot of toil involved to get a harvest. And so now they've had a whole day off following Jesus, listening to somebody teach, and they got free food out of the deal. So they're trying to get Jesus to repeat his miracle, and now they're willing to trick him to do it. It's kind of like your kids when they want a dog. I promise, Dad. I promise, Mom. I cross my heart, hope to die. I will pick up after that dog. I will love that dog. That dog will be obedient. He will never chew up your slippers. That dog will lay by my bedside. He will be there. He will be faithful. And who ends up raising the dog? The mom, because Dad's doing something else. All right? So we all know. We all know who's doing this. We all know who's doing the work. All right? And they're trying to get Jesus to do the same thing. They're like, come on, Jesus. We promise we'll follow you. We'll believe if you just give us... Another biscuit and some fish, a little fish biscuit, biscuit and fish, a new little restaurant, fish biscuit. We'll, we'll open it up. It'll be good. You sit in the back. We don't have to have a kitchen. You just pray over one fish, one biscuit, and, man, we will serve. We make millions. This is what they're saying to Jesus. And Jesus is not following for their fish biscuit scheme. He's like, I'm not going to follow for it because I know why you guys are here. You guys just want the food, and you don't want the person. You want to be my fan, but you don't want to be my follower. So they're asking Jesus, what miracle are you going to perform? And he goes on. I'm not going to perform a miracle. He said, our fathers, and then they say to him, our fathers ate man in the desert. As is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gave you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I told you that you have seen me and you do not 
believe. As we start into this message, we need to ask ourselves the question, am I a fan or a follower? And how do I determine if I'm just a fan or if I'm a follower? Number one, we determine it by commitment. It starts right there. It's very simple. It's not profound. It's not deep. It's nothing you haven't heard before. It's a simple thought. Commitment. Do I have the commitment to him? Because I find today that we have a lot of people, they lead their lives with their lips and never with their life actions. They want to say one thing but yet do another. They lack commitment. These athletes that have made it to this professional level, they have a level of commitment that's unlike anybody else. You want the life that nobody else has, then do what nobody else is willing to do. You want those grades, then you have to go after it. You want that status, you have to go after it. You want to, work, you want to have that job, then you've got to go after it. Nobody's just going to hand it to you. Nobody's going to give it to you. The more I'm around high-profile leaders and entrepreneurs and owners of companies, I get to be around them. I get to hear their story. And it's not always this perfect, crystal clear path that they just knew that they were going to be this wealthy business owner. They just knew that they were going to grow this business. They just knew they would have a great marriage. They just knew that they were going to raise great kids. It was the fact that they didn't know, but they were going to stay committed. You see, you and I, we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know what tomorrow is. But can we say, you know what, I'm just going to be committed. And it's not because of what I'm, I'm incentivized by. Because today I find that people are casual, and our casual needs to go to, turn to a commitment. We're casual about our commitment. It's, it's, it's laissez-faire. It's kind of like, well, I was committed on Sunday. But it's Monday through Saturday that you need the commitment to live out. It's day in and day out. It's that grind. It's that I'm going back to it, and I'm going to be committed. But today we have this duplicity where instead of being committed, we're kind of about convenience. Is it convenient now to be a Christ follower? Well, here it's not convenient. And we need to make the choice that if I'm committed, then I'm committed no matter where I'm at. So if I'm where somewhere I shouldn't be, then guess what? I'm committed Christian, so maybe this isn't where I should be. And maybe if you're here this morning, you're saying, hey, I'm not a Christ follower. Well, welcome to our church. We love you. We're glad you're here, but we want you to be a committed Christ follower. That's our goal for you. There's no strings attached. We want you to know Jesus. We want you to follow Jesus. We don't want you to just be his fan. He has plenty of fans. He needs some followers. He needs some people that will get out of the stands and off the bench and into the circle, into the sphere. You see, our church is trying to move into a new building. We've got to build it out. We've got to raise funds. We've got to reach our community. There's a lot we've got to do, and we don't need more fans. We need followers. We need some people that will step up and say, hey, I'm here to help. I'm here to serve. I'm here to be a part because I have commitment. It's simple, isn't it? But it's profound. You want to change your marriage? Commitment. You want to change your children? Commitment. You want to change anything in your life? Start with commitment. You know why a lot of people, they say, well, I really want to, I want to work out, I want to do this. The, the fact is, is they just lost commitment to get up early. They lost the commitment to eat right. They lost the commitment a long time ago. That's what stopped. It's the commitment. Oh, I just don't like this person like I used to. I don't love this person. It's your commitment. That's where it starts. And if you would get back to the fact that, wait a minute, God is calling for us to be committed. Matter of fact, he even tells these disciples, and he starts talking to these people. And then later on in the same passage, in verse 66, the Bible says that Jesus' own disciples, there were some of them that turned away and didn't walk with him anymore. His disciples, disciples were followers. Those are people that said, we're committed to you. It was those people who said, we're committed. They even walked away. Why? Because they lost their commitment. You see, your admiration needs to turn into devotion. You admire Jesus or are you devoted to Jesus? Some of us, we're interested in him, but we're not investing into him. We're not willing to invest. We're interested, but we're not going to invest. Let's get off the fence and let's say, hey, we're a part of this thing. You see, commitment will never be about our convenience. So we've got to take that next step. And I want you to hear from quarterback Derek Carr on this exact same topic of commitment. 
I will say that both of my brothers enjoy giving me a football and saying, hey, can you hit that house over there? Or, hey, can you throw it that far and hit that sign? Or if we're at the beach, can you hit that umbrella? I think Christ really became real to me when my wife, who is now my wife, at the time she was just a friend, she wrote me a letter and it said, you're not the person that I thought you were. He would say one thing but act the opposite way. So he was talking about God and how much he loved God and then I would see him going to the parties, hanging out with the girls. Stay until 3 a.m., you know, all all those things, you know. uh, No, that was my lifestyle. I thought he was so in love and on fire for God, but then I saw what he was doing, and it just wasn't adding up. I remember at that moment, I felt so selfish. I felt so arrogant. I felt so cocky. Uh, But I was still a nice, genuine person. But all of a sudden, all these feelings came upon me. I got down on my knees, and it was finally finally that time where God kind of put his foot down on my throat and said, Hey, you guys, I got special plans for you, and you're screwing it up. So I ended up sitting down talking to Derek, and he had apologized how he acted to me. He apologized how, um, how he had not been, you know, living the Christian life. And that next week, we had a game at, at the University of Ole Miss, and uh, I got up in front of my whole team, and I told them, I said, guys, I've been calling myself a Christian, and, uh, you know, I haven't been living it. You know, I've been, you guys know what I've been doing. Uh, I'm a Christian now, and uh, I've asked God for his forgiveness. Now watch how I live my lifestyle, and that's really what a Christian's about. And so that's when we started hanging out again, and then um, later on we started to date, then we made it official, and then, yeah. And I remember just looking at him, and I was just in awe of God's creation. You pack all the first day outfits that you're going to go home with and you know you're just so ready to take your baby home I remember I went to go grab the nurse because I knew something was wrong I've been around seven nieces and nephews but I'd never seen anything like that I couldn't sleep. I held him all night, sat straight up, would not fall asleep. And, you know, you're already so exhausted from giving birth. You know, he had x-rays done and all that. He tells us Dallas is going to have to have surgery, um, emergency surgery. Before he went into surgery, they wheeled him out, and we all grabbed hands, and I prayed over him. And I prayed for strength, and I, I praised God that we even had one day to, to spend with him. And I remember just laying down, and I finally, I was so tired that when I hit, when, as soon as my head hit, I fell asleep. And uh, they woke me up, and the doctor said everything was great. They told us at that time he'd spend 48 hours about in the NICU, and then we'd get to go home. Well, I remember 48 hours later, he ended up having a second surgery. And so we were home for about two weeks, and Dallas started to throw up again. So we ended up taking him into the emergency room and this time the surgery was five hours long so you know you're just waiting there like was something really wrong like what's going on you know I kept telling my wife that he was going to be okay she kept saying how are you so strong and I told her if you only knew (laughs) if you only knew because I would go into the bathrooms and cry my eyes out you can be a real Christian but be dying inside you know because we're human
just remember like feeling God's peace that I could not ever explain. That's how I know he's with me because I have a peace and a joy. I can't describe it, but I have it and I know it's real. stay committed even in the difficult times. Too often, we go through life, and it's our trials that reveal the foundation. But you know, when we're going through a trial, is not the right time to build the foundation. You see, a trial, a difficulty will reveal it. So if we've been committed, you say, well, I, I was committed. Why did a bad thing happen? It's because God is revealing some things in your life. God is trying to show you some things that are underneath the surface that otherwise he would never be able to get to. And God is trying to show us that, hey, the, the, the real thought is, are you just going to maintain this posture that says, I just kind of follow Jesus from a distance? Or are you truly a disciple, a follower? He said there were these people that they did not believe in him. After everything he'd done, they had still wanted him to do more. After all that God has done for you, he sent his one true son, Jesus, down to this earth to die on a cross for us. And we need to make that decision. Do I believe him or do I not believe him? And if you believe him, then we need to follow him. We need to live as if he is real and he is alive and he is well. But we won't do this because if, if, if we're held back because we're not committed, and when we're held back because of commitment, it's usually because we want to stay in our comfort zone. Now, let me just park it here for a second because if anybody loves comfort, it's me. I love to be comfortable. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be comfortable, but here's where my comfortability can really uh, mess things up. There's a story of an Old Testament king. His name was King David. The Bible says it was the time of the year where all the kings would go to war, but David stayed home. He stayed where it was comfortable, and he nearly wrecked his life. He almost lost his kingdom. There were so many things that happened. He got into an illicit affair. He ends up murdering somebody. Why? Because he got too comfortable. The places where you and I are most tempted to mess up our lives is when we get into this really comfortable environment. You know, the other day I was thinking, I was like, man, things are really good, really good. And I was like, wait a minute. I don't have anything uncomfortable in my life right now. And you say, why is that a problem? Why don't you just enjoy it? No, because I need to be pushed to that next level. I'm not one that just naturally just says, oh, yeah, let's go work out. Oh, yeah, let's eat uh, uh, carrots for breakfast instead of Lucky Charms. That's just not natural for me. And if you are, I mean, I just don't like you, that you could just get up and eat carrots for breakfast and not Lucky Charms. There's Lucky Charms there. It's like, man, go for the Lucky Charms. But, you know, it's one of those things where I need to be that push because why? I love to just sit in my comfort zone. I love to stay where it's comfortable. But I need us to get comfortable with being uncomfortable comfortable. Let us as Christ followers be comfortable when it's uncomfortable, when life doesn't make sense, when things aren't going as we planned, that we say, you know what, God's in control here, and it's not about my comfort, because the biggest enemy of contentment is our comfort. Every NFL team has spring training. Why would they have spring training? Because they know if they can have a good spring training, they're going to have a much better season because that's that preparation. You say, well, shouldn't they enjoy their time off? Shouldn't they enjoy that off season? No, because it's their discomfort in that off season that's going to pay the price. I was listening to some of the training camp videos from one of the coaches and one of the coaches said, we're not going to wait till we make the playoffs. We're not going to wait till the Super Bowl to bring it. We're going to bring it now in camp. We're going to bring our very best now because if we don't bring it now, we're not going to have it then. We need to bring it now so that we can have it there. We need to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And if there's one quarterback who knows this really well, he's hopped from team to team. And finally, I believe he's kind of landed a team, but it's a quarterback by the name of Josh McCown. And he's going to talk about comfort. And let's listen into what he has to say about comfort and hopping from one place to another. 
We had little Cowboys helmets growing up. We'd get in the yard and we'd run around and play, you know, on Sunday after church, right before the Cowboy game would come on. Even then, starting to begin to dream of, you know, what it'd be like to do that on a, on a bigger scale. Most guys were two or three year starters in high school and started a couple years in college and then going to the pros. And my story's a little different. My junior year in high school, I was not the starting quarterback. I only got to play my senior year. I just remember thinking, you know, I'll just make the most of this year. I was drafted by the Cardinals, and I hopped right into being a backup quarterback. There's a definitely a different stress level when you walk onto the field. Every level you go higher, you get more and more into the business part of it, where these guys are doing it for their livelihood. I spent my four years there, and then in free agency, uh, had the opportunity to go to Detroit, was there for a year, and then was traded to Oakland. For me, you know, growing up and watching guys, you know, kind of stay with teams for a long time, you know, John Elway, Dan Marino, and these guys. And, and so your dream is, that yeah, I don't want a career like that. Changing and going to Detroit and then only being there a year and then getting traded. And so now you're kind of looking back going, man, this thing is going a lot different than I thought. So my career continued to kind of, you know, uh, change a lot and uh, so after we left Oakland we went to Miami and I was there through the offseason and got traded and to Carolina we spent a couple years there and my last year uh, I was on IR and so we went through the offseason and the phone didn't ring and so that was the first time that it happened for us I had been comfortable and comfortable things had happened you know I'd always had a job my prayer and my desire was just to be back in a locker room so I go through that whole offseason again the phone doesn't ring and so I said, you know what, I've got to do something besides just kind of sit on my hands and wait. I need to get out there and, and, and serve. I started coaching at the high school level. And man, that was one of the big, biggest blessings I've ever had. We get beat in the playoffs in the second round. And the week goes by and, and uh, Jay Cutler gets hurt with the Bears. And the, the Bears call me found myself, you know, uh, the last two games of the season starting uh, at Lambeau Field on Christmas night. That's just what God was hitting me with. It's just like, there are things, there are moments, there are, there are paths that I'm going to cross in your life that you, that are there, they're out there, and, and you don't even know they're, they're coming. And what are you going to do when you hit them? You know, and, and are you going to join God in his mission, or are you just going to miss and are you going to be so consumed with what we got going on that, that we miss what we can do with him? Faithful to everything he, he tells us about himself. And uh, I think as much as in those situations, in those situations that we go through in life that we try to paint, that God is not being who he said he was going to be, that he's been who he says he's going to be. We get scarred and we get hurt because our because what we expected did not happen. If I if I sit, you know, in my quiet moments, I say I, I want to please God. My heart is to please God. Then there's got to be faith involved, and there's got to be things and elements in my life where I can't see what's coming next. If anything, it's encouraged me to push myself into those moments as much as I can. Maybe I can't see the, around the corner on this thing. You know, maybe I'm just going to have to trust God, but maybe this is going to be a good thing for me.
trust God and just believe that this is going to be a good thing for me. Jesus goes on to tell them the reason they wanted to follow is because they wanted to be full. That feeling of being full, that feeling of satisfaction, that comfort. But the last thing that I believe God is calling us is the very fact that he is calling. God is calling you out of the stands. He's calling and saying your name. And this morning, if you're here, God has a plan for you. Now, oftentimes when we hear that word calling, if you're new to church, we believe that God has a plan for you. God has a purpose. And sometimes we get weirded out by that. Sometimes we think, well, I'm not going to be a missionary. I'm not going to go be a pastor. I'm not going to go and, and, and do something like that. No, no, you, don't, you, you misunderstand me. Because you think that everything God calls you to do is big and great. And sometimes God just calls you to do the little things, like go love your spouse. Sometimes God just calls you to go spend a little bit extra time with your son. A little bit extra time with your daughter. Sometimes God just calls you to say, hey, you've got this habit in your life. It's holding you back. You constantly lie, and you need to deal with that. Hey, you're constantly getting upset. You need to deal with that. There's these things that God is speaking to you. And sometimes we have a generation that's coming up, and they feel like everything they do has to be big. Otherwise, it's not worth doing it. But the people that make it big are the people that they didn't know that their calling was going to lead to some great thing. They just knew, I'm going to take this next step, this next right step, and I'm just going to see where God wants to take it. I'm not concerned with how it's going to end out. I know that I'm just being obedient to what God has called me to do. So for any up-and-coming generation here, don't feel like, well, it's not big enough, and there wasn't 10,000 people there. No, no, no. It's the fact that you just show up. It's the fact that you were just there. It's the fact that you were just there for your children. You'll look back, and as I get to talk to adults, I can't tell you how many adults I'll get to talk to that are in their 40s and their 50s, and they'll tell you, if I could have one more day with my dad or one more day with my mom, all I'd want to hear is that they just actually love me because I never heard it. Oh, they bought me a car. Oh, they paid for college, but I never heard them say, I love you. And some of you as parents, you feel like, man, i got to make sure my kid makes it a private school, make sure they get this college, make sure they drive this car, make sure they have the clothes that I never had. And you wonder why they resent you. And you start to resent them because of all you're doing. And it really has nothing to do with what you're doing. It has to do with what you're not doing. And it's that simple thing of just saying, you know what, this is what God's called me to be. God's called me to be here. God's called me to be present. So I'm just going to do that. I'm just going to show up. And guess what? Some of you, yes, God will call you to great things. God will call you to big things. Or we may know of your name. We may hear of you. But guess what? Don't despise the day of small things. Don't think, oh, serving a nursery at church is beneath me. I need a big calling. So the moment they ask me to preach on a Sunday, yeah, I'll do that. But change a diaper? No. Uh-uh. I don't do that. No. I don't greet. I don't get in the parking lot. I don't wave a little sign. No, I don't do that. We can hire the little flappy arm guy to go do that. You know, let's get one of those guys out there. You don't need me to do that. But you'll be amazed at how God can use this small thing that you see as insignificant and use it in a much greater way than you ever thought possible. You see, God is calling us. And Jesus said to these people, I'm the bread of life. Imagine going to a restaurant and they hand you a menu. If you look at the menu, there's only one item on the menu. And it really doesn't matter what you feel like because you're only going to get that one thing. It's kind of like In-N-Out. It doesn't matter if you want a chicken burger. You're not going to get it. They don't have it. In and out, even if you know their secret menu, they're not going to serve you chicken. But imagine for a second, you go to this restaurant, and all of a sudden there's one thing on the menu. And that's what Jesus is saying. I'm the bread of life. There's only one thing on the menu. You see, you've tried everything else that's going to satisfy. You think having a great social status is going to satisfy, and it's not. 
And you're wondering, why is this empty? You're thinking, man, if I just sleep with that person or this person, man, that will satisfy. And it's not. If I just have this significance and people just know my name, it will be satisfying. And it's not because the only thing on the menu of life is Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life, meaning he satisfies. And you can keep searching around for everything. And you're going to come up empty and wanting more until you taste of Jesus. The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's saying, taste it. He's saying, try it. He's saying, test it. He's saying, I've been good, I'm great, and I'm here, and he's calling to you right now. I say it like this, your calling is calling. Your calling is calling. Touch your neighbor and say, your calling is calling. And your calling may not necessarily be to cross the ocean. It could be to cross the street and talk to your neighbor and see how your neighbor is doing. It could mean just crossing the cubicle and go talking to the person next to you and seeing how they're doing, how their day's going. You don't understand the power of something so simple that God could use you. You see, the only thing on the menu is Jesus, and that's what we need. And maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, well, that's really narrow. You're right, it is pretty narrow. It's, God's not a mountain, and there's different paths up to the mountain. It is narrow. There's only one way. We were singing that he's the one way. And it's taken directly from John 14, 6. But Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He's the only way. You say, well, I just don't like that narrowness. I'll tell you what, I actually like narrowness. You say, why? Whenever I fly in an airplane, I'm glad my pilot's narrow. You say, why? Because I don't want him landing on that nice, soft, grassy area he sees off to the side. Stay on the runway, buddy. That's, that's our lane. Just stay right there. Just land that plane right there. Where the light, where the little dude with the cones, that's where we need to land. No, I want to go over here. No, no, that's how we wreck this plane. And you're not Tom Hanks. You're not going to save us, okay? It's not going to work out. And you need to make that decision. Am I going to follow God? He's calling me. He's asking me to in, embark on this journey with him. He's that bread. You see, Jesus doesn't want to just do a tune-up in your life. And some of us who feel like, well, I'll come to church, get a nice little Christian tune-up. No, no. He wants to transform your life. Well, I just need a little makeup, just kind of cover up these little flaws. and No, God wants a makeover. God wants to transform you from the inside out. You go about your life and you start resenting yourself and hating yourself for these flaws. And God's like, I'm the one that can fix this. We're going to hear from this last video. And I think it's going to be the most powerful. Because I think it's going to answer a lot of questions. And it's going to tie up this desire. Let's hear from this last video from Miles McPherson. Grew up in Long Island, New York. My mother was a nurse, father was a cop. We weren't rich, weren't poor, uh, but we had a whole bunch of fun. I didn't go to a Division I school. I was not recruited by a Division I school, so I ended up at a Division III school, which was like a glorified high school, and thus didn't think I was good enough. My freshman year, we were 6-3, uh, and three, first winning season. My second year, we were undefeated. Third year, I was the first All-American. And then my fourth year, I got drafted. I didn't know God, but I just knew in my heart I was going to play in the NFL and that my life was going to mean something. I kept telling my coaches that. I had a coach mocking me behind my back, telling other players I'll never make it. I was too small, too slow, too short. But that just motivated me to keep working. My senior year, my coach made a flyer, put my picture on it, my stats, And he sent it to every NFL team every week. And not one team came to see me play. But after the season, we got calls from about five teams, and they came and watched film. And the Los Angeles Rams says, uh, you know, we're going to draft you if if in the late rounds you're available. And we have everything we want, we're going to draft you. I said, "Don't, don't mess with me. When I got to the NFL, I walked into a hotel room with some guys on the team. 
I was a rookie, and it was one of those peer pressure things, you know, fitting in. And, and it was about six guys in the hotel room. I didn't know what we were going in there for, and they just pulled out cocaine. I was like, oh, man. I saw everybody else doing it, and I said, well, this can't be that bad. I knew it was wrong, and I knew it was dangerous, but, you know, I lived on the edge. One day, my buddy took me to a crack house, and I said, I want to go watch the guy make crack. So I went into this bathroom, and I sat in this little tiny bathroom, and there was this guy in there with a white tank top, shriveled up, skinny. He was like a skeleton. And I remember looking, the, looking at him going, man, that pitiful guy. You know, that's, this, drugs is killing him. And then I looked in the mirror, and God said, what about you? He was in your seat not that long ago. And my buddy opened up the door, and, you know, they gave the crack to the drug dealer and my buddy, and my buddy stood this far away from me and smoked crack. And I remember his eyes just kind of rolling back into his head, and I thought he was going to die right in front of me. And he asked me, did I want some? And, and I said, nah. He said, you're strong. I said, no, I'm scared. <laughs> I'm not strong. I'm scared. You know, that was one of the wake-up calls for me because I went into the other room by myself in this dark room and did cocaine by myself. And it's like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm, I'm in the NFL. I'm living my dream, and I'm destroying it. And I would look myself in the mirror and audibly say, don't put the powder in your nose. I would say those words to myself in the mirror, and then I would put the pound on my nose. And to think that I couldn't stop, you know, how far is this going to take me and, what, you know, what is going to happen to me? I got to a point where I realized that I was throwing away the best opportunity I had, and I just woke up and said, I can't do this anymore. And I just kept saying, God, one more day. One more day, I want to party. One more. There's gonna be, there's gonna be that party. There's gonna be that experience that's gonna make me fulfill and, and make me happy. And, and every day, I was like, I just got hold out for that, and it never came. And there were some guys in my team who shared the gospel with me. So April 12, 1984, five o'clock in the morning, I had been up all night, and I said, I'm done. I'm, I'm gonna give God the commitment I've given football the commitment I've given drugs, the commitment I've given fun. I'm going to give God that commitment. And I said, I'm, I'm going to give my life to you today. I had to come to a point where I had to make a decision that I was going to be committed to doing the right thing and following Jesus, and I did. Is it that people wait for the wake-up call? Instead of just saying, you know what, God, I'm done running. I know that you're speaking to me. I don't need a wake-up call. We hear these stories about people that they had to come to a point, like Miles said, where it was like, how low am I going to go? Is it going to get any worse? And I'm here to tell you that some of us in this room right now need to make a decision. Is today my wake-up call? Why is it that when we set our alarm and sometimes we wake up five minutes before our alarm, we're like, ah, oh, we're frustrated with ourselves. Man, I could have slept for five more minutes. And then we try to sleep for five more minutes instead of just getting up. We're going to wait for the wake-up call. We're already awake. Why don't we just get up? You got five more extra minutes for your day. 
That's five more minutes to go make your coffee. That's five more minutes to go spend with God. That's five more minutes to spend with your spouse. Five more minutes to spend with your kids. That's five more minutes to actually be on time. God forbid you be on time. But man, that might be a great thing this year just to be committed to that. But when it comes to something so small, God is calling us this morning. He's calling for our commitment to leave the stands and to get invested. Let's all stand. This morning, as we heard these testimonies, these videos, maybe God is saying something to you. Maybe God was saying, it's time to give me your commitment. Miles said, I'd give my commitment to fun. I'd given it to football, but I hadn't given it to God. So I'm going to ask everybody's head bowed and every eye closed. And this is our time to do business with God. This is our time to say, God, you know what? I've been doing my own thing and it's not working. And I'm coming to you. I'm going to commit to you. I put so much energy into doing the wrong thing. I want to put all this energy into doing the right thing and see what happens. Or maybe you're coming back to God after a long time. Or maybe you're coming to God for the first time. And you're saying, you know what? I need help. I need prayer. And you would like me to pray for you with nobody else looking around. And you'd slip up your hand and say, I want to rededicate. I want to commit my life to you. Is that you? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see hands up all over. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. I see those hands. Thank you. You may put your hands down. If at any point during this service or at the end of this service, you need someone to pray with you underneath that connection tent, there's a prayer team. They will pray over you and pray for you because we believe in the power of prayer to transform lives. We believe that it's your prayer, that you saying, God, I want to receive you, I want to accept you, that he comes into your life, and he doesn't just do a tune-up, he does a transformational work. He doesn't just put some makeup on you, he does a makeover. That God will take that which is old and make it new if we will simply submit ourselves to him. So I'm going to pray for all those that raise their hand. Let me pray for you. Dear God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. Thank that we got to hear some honest feedback from these quarterbacks. These people we might revere, we might look up to, we might wish to be like them. But God, we hear from their struggles, we hear from their ups and downs, and we hear that it was simple. They needed to get out of their comfort zone and make a commitment and fulfill their calling. It's so simple, it's there, it's nothing we don't already know, but help us, Father, to do it. Help us to realize that you will satisfy, you are the bread of life. And so, Father, we come to you. Today is our wake-up call. Today we listen to you. I pray for the people that have raised their hand. May they, may they follow you. May they get out of the stands. They may be living after you. May they be the what they are today. May they be that tomorrow. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Humble. 